And after he concluded and finished his sermon, he sat down and the worship leader got up and he said, let's turn to page 126 and sing the song, We Shall Gather at the River. <laughs> May not have been the best time for that song, huh? We've been on a new series here. Not a new series, we've been on it for a number of weeks now. But uh, looking at what it is that God can use. That we need to give some things that God can use in our life. And we give him something that he can use. Boy, he can do some stuff with it. Sometimes God would ask for things like, what's in the house? What do you have? For the disciples, what they had was some loaves and some fishes. For the widow woman, she had some oil. And God took that little bit and he made great things out of it. And sometimes God will ask us for what we have. Sometimes he asks us to do something. What we ask us to do doesn't seem to be anywhere at all related to what we need to have done. Or sometimes it's something that we've already done. When he's asked the disciples to go back out into the deep and put the nets back down for a great catch, what did they say? We fished all night and caught nothing. But at your word, we'll go ahead and do it. And they caught more fish than their net could hold. Last week, we were looking at the, or a few weeks ago, I think it was, we were looking at the centurion. That the centurion sent a request to Jesus by the mouths of the elders of Jerusalem, the elders of the Jews. And they didn't quite get the message right because they were over there saying, he is worthy of you coming. You should come. He's done all these great things. And they came with making a request on, remember what it was? Merit and mercy. But merit and mercy is not what moves God. What moves God is faith. But Jesus went, being led by the Spirit or whoever it was, he must have sensed something that was there. And he, so he went along. And when he saw, when people came back, it seems that anyway, people came back and told the centurion what had been said, he was kind of upset at the message. And he sent his friends out the second time. And the friends said, he, we're not worthy for you to come under the house. Just speak the word. For the centurion said, for I too am a man under authority. I say this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. And Jesus said, I have not seen such great faith. No, not in the house of Israel. That was the first instance we saw great faith being mentioned. So last week we took a look at the woman who also was mentioned about having great faith. And with her, we saw that that she was uh, a Canaanite woman. And she came and made a request of God or Jesus. And uh, he wouldn't even give her a time of day. And eventually she came and worshiped at his feet. Disciples are saying, just send her away. Just, just get rid of her. Just tell her to go away. But Jesus wouldn't even recognize, wouldn't even respond to her. So finally, she came and worshiped at his feet. And he said to her, woman, it is not good to take the bread that is meant for the children and throw it to the little dogs. And instead of getting offended at the saying, she agreed with it. That's true. But even the little dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said to her, great Faith. You have great faith. Two times Jesus pinpointed great faith. A few times he pinpointed weak faith. Uh, a few times he pinpointed no faith. So he began to look at what it was that caused some to have great faith. What was it that they had? We saw that when Jesus spoke to her, she didn't deny the truth. She said, truth, Lord. And the King James translated it, truth, Lord. And she didn't try and deny it. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he recognized the truth of what was there. The truth was, Jesus was a man under authority. Jesus was not a powerful man. He was a man under authority and therefore had great authoritative power. And he said, in the same way, I have that. So I say, let this one go and he goes and to this one come and he comes. Truth comes to us a couple of ways. First off, it comes by what we hear. That's one of the best ways to get truth. It comes through what we see. It comes through what we sense or our intuition. Some of the lesser ways are things we accept, things that are reported to us that we just kind of accept. How many times have you gotten a report from a doctor or a report from somebody on the phone or a report somehow, and you just kind of accepted it? Maybe a news report. He just kind of accepted it as being true, found out it wasn't. Found out it got all messed up. Uh, and also by assumption. Truth comes to us by assumption. Now, it's not truth. We've made some assumptions, and once in a while you assume the right things and you get it right, but a lot of times we assume the wrong things. And we get it wrong. This is how truth comes to us. 
This is what we believe to be true. If I believe a thing to be true and the thing is wrong, it will steer me down a wrong path. But if I have truth and it is right and I hold to it, it will keep me on the right path. Still reviewing for what we went over the last couple of weeks. Want to make sure you get these things down. We said this to you last time. Once truth is brought to light, we must accept and act. We've got to accept that truth and we've got to act. You're not going to act on it until you accept it as truth. You've got to accept that this is true and I'm going to act on it. Once you decide that this is truth, then you will do something. You will, you will act on it. You will find out those, those things. The truth will have a way of changing your life because you've accepted, you brought some truth in. Now, I'll give you an example of my life where truth has, this is, has nothing to do with anything spiritual, but truth has had an, has a, had an effect. I was thinking about this uh, uh, one time uh, in the shop. It was this, this week or last week. And I was in the, how many times have you ever been carrying something around and you hit something above you, but you're not looking at it? Anybody ever done that? What is your first, what is your response to do? Don't you look up to see what it was that you hit? Yeah, and that's a normal reaction unless you're in a shop. And I noticed this about it because I, I hit something. I was carrying something. I hit something. And by instinct, I didn't look up. I looked down. And I was thinking about that for a while. Why do I do that? I mean, most times I'm out in, the, out in the world, out and about. You hit something, you look up. What did I hit? But as soon as I hit something, I looked down. I didn't look up. And I knew it was by instinct. I just did it. You know why? Because it's a dusty shop. And as soon as I hit anything in the shop, dust comes down. And I know to look down. <laughs> You don't want that stuff in your nose, in your in your mouth, and you're coming in your eyes and stuff like that. So a long time ago, I accepted a truth that do not look up in the shop when you hit something because there's wires, there's lights, you know, and the dust collects up there. And though I sweep up the, the the floor of the shop two, three times a day, I only take the blower out uh, once a month or two, every month or two, and I just take the blower and I just blow sawdust. I'll put a dust mask on, open the garage doors, and just blow that stuff right on out. But in the meantime, it builds up. And as soon as you hit something, you duck. So it's a truth has altered the way that I respond. It's not the normal way that you would respond. It's something that has, has altered. You have a truth. You have something that's come into your life and you've altered the way that you live. You've accepted that truth as being true and you've changed the way that you go about it. Uh, in Ephesians, we looked at this. I want to read this for you again, though. Ephesians 1.13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also... Having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Having believed, once you accept that, it has a change that it does. Luke chapter 2 and verse 19 tells us our second one. The second one is to ponder and to prove. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart, speaking about what she heard about Jesus. But here was the big one we spent time on in Acts chapter 10. Just going to read part of this to you. Peter was... Uh, up on the housetop, he was praying. And while he was praying, this vision came to him. And all these, all these foods, he was hungry. All these foods came to him. And he looked at that and the voice said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And he said, No, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord said, What I have called clean, do not call unclean. This happened three times. In verse 17, it says this. Now, while Peter wondered or pondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Sometimes when we get a truth, we have to ponder it for a little while. We have to meditate on that for a little while. Is, does this line up with the other stuff? How, how do, what does this mean? How does this fit in? How should this alter my life? Sometimes we accept and we act. Sometimes we ponder and we prove it. And he pondered and proved it, but it became clear to him because some people came, knocked at the door, said, we need Cornelius sent for you. And the rest of the story is a great one if you haven't read it recently. Go back there and read that one. Here's the third one, reject and refuse. Sometimes things come to us and we need to reject it and refuse it. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun, reject, Refuse, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the re resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. Have you ever accepted something as truth and it took you down a wrong path and you say, oh, I wish I would have rejected that? Yeah, we've had, we've had that in our, in, before, have we? 
Sometimes we need to take truth that comes to us and reject it as false and refuse it. The worst thing we can do, though, is to accept the truth and refuse to live by it. That is the very worst thing you can do. If you accept the thing as truth and you refuse to have it affect your life, you're in bad shape. We saw that the woman heard the word from Jesus. She recognized the source as being God. She accepted it no matter what her emotions told you. Because if somebody called you a dog or it, that's how you, if that's how you wanted to take it, you know, that could offend you. And that can get your emotions involved. Sometimes people have talked with you. They're telling you truth, but they got you upset. They got your emotions involved. And, uh, and you don't want to hear that anymore. <laughs> they, she recognized the source. She accepted it, even though her emotions were telling her something different. And she declared a truth based upon it. Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the food that comes from the master's table. She does not speak words to contradict the truth that was already declared. We saw that another one with Peter. He came out and he walked in the water. What did Jesus say to him? One word. Come. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. He said, come. So he came out and he walked on the water. He was walking on the water. To walk on the water means you take a couple of steps. Doesn't mean you stand and say he stood on the water. It said he walked on the water. As he was walking on the water, he began to see all the storm, all this, the waves, the wind. His eyes got on that. And when Jesus caught him after he sank, what did Jesus say? Oh, you of little faith. He didn't say, yo, you of great faith, even though no one else besides Jesus has walked in the water except Peter. He's the only one ever that we know about in the word of God who has ever walked on the water beside Jesus. And Jesus didn't come to him and say, man, that was great. Look at what you did. He didn't do that. He says, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt well, why did he? Because he got his eyes off of what Jesus said. He got his eyes on to what was going on around him. And so we were picking all, looking at all these things to pick up some clues as to what was going on, what was happening. We put it this way. Great faith is moved completely by spirit perception or revelation and zero by neutral or by natural perception. It is moved 100% completely by spiritual perception and zero, not 1%, not 5%, not 10%, zero by natural perception or what happens around us. That is what great faith is. When we can get ourselves to the point where nothing that is going on around us bothers us even a little. We just keep going on. We just keep going, keep going in that way. Hananiah and his buddies, they were presented with a choice. Either bow down and worship or go into the fiery furnace. And their response was, we don't care what you do. We don't care if you play the music, don't play the music. We don't care what you do with the fire. We don't care if you put the fire out, put us in the fire. Uh, we don't care. We're not bowing. We're not doing it. What are they saying? Our faith is not based on what is going on around. You can change all you want, all that's going on around. We aren't changing. That to me, by definition, was great faith. Daniel did a lot of the same things. Regular faith is affected by both. It's affected by what comes to us in the spirit, but it's also affected by what comes to us in the natural. That's just regular faith. And we looked at some examples of that. If you weren't here for, for that, you can go back and, and check that out because we looked at some examples of people who were, who were in regular faith and then there were those who were weak faith. Weak faith may start out in the first but moves to the second before the faith finishes its work. It doesn't quite make it. It gives up. We run over to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the prize, the promise. We need to finish the race. Paul even said to the Galatians, you started well, what happened? We need to start well and end well. You got to keep on going. We got to accept truth that is revealed. You gotta accept that. You gotta declare or have an action based upon it. Declaration or an action based upon it. And third, depend on no natural stimulation. The woman with the issue of blood may have fit the definition of great faith by some of our standards, but there was some natural stimulation she needed. And that's why her faith wasn't called great. But these two stood out because they needed no, I don't, the guy sent you, I don't even need you to come out here. I don't need to see you. I don't need to hear what you're saying. That's, that's great faith. I, I want zero natural stimulation. You just speak the word and it'll be done. That's, 
That's something. That's where we need to get to. All right, we're going to go back over here, John chapter 2, and pick up where we... That's just our review. It's important that you get that. That's why we spent a little extra time on, the, on all that. It's important that we understand that. Make sure you, you have that down. On the third day, it says over here, and if you... Uh, Pull that up on the screen for everybody or read in your Bibles. On the third day, there was a wedding in the Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Well, what's the big deal, Jesus says. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not my problem. Now Jesus' mother is in attendance. Jesus is also in attendance. Probably this means that it's a relative. Jesus is just attending. You all can relate to this. How many times have you gone to a wedding as a sibling because your parents knew the people involved? Do you want to be there? I mean, think back. 10, 12, whatever years you are, you're there because mom and dad came and you couldn't be left at home or or you came because mom and dad said, you know, we would like you to come and you went, but you didn't want to be there. Anybody ever done that? Kind of think what this is going on with Jesus. Mary is more than an attender. She is someone at this wedding. Somehow, whatever it is. The, the relative may be on her side of the family, maybe somebody she was close to, whatever it was, and Jesus is there. But we get the idea from here that Jesus really, he just wants to be an attender. I don't want to be more than the person who attends. I just want to be an attender. Ever been there with that? You just want to attend an event, but there's people around you who want to get you more involved. <laughs> And we don't like that. Jesus can relate to you right here. So they ran out of wine. Terrible thing. Not a good thing to, to run out of wine at a wedding. It, we don't understand that in, in our society, but their society, it was, a, it was a terrible. I've been to weddings that have no wine at all. I've been to weddings where they kind of expect that everyone is going to have a wine for the toast. And I can't stand wine. And it doesn't have much alcohol in it. The more alcohol something has, the more I can't stand it. I just, oh, it just drives me crazy. I can't take the taste. I can't take the smell. I can't take it on my hands. I can't be near it. I just don't like it. If you like it, that's fine. But keep it away from me. I, I just I just don't. So I remember a couple of times I was at, uh, you know, Italian weddings are, are notorious for this. They have wine and everybody's supposed to, to do their the, the toast and stuff like that. I tried to hold my nose and sip that sucker. Oh, man, that was painful. I mean, it, it, it hurt. It just was bad. So uh, I gave up after a couple of times. I said, look, this is it. This is it. <laughs> I don't make you eat stuff you don't want. So uh, we, I don't do that anymore. If they want me to be there in a toast, I'll toast with water. I'll toast with Diet Coke. <laughs> Whatever it might be. But they can have one if they want to. Anyway. Big deal, big deal here. They would have a, a feast would go on for days. It's not just a couple hours, it's days. And so they ran out of wine. And so she approaches Jesus about this and his response to her is, woman. <laughs> and we have, a, we, we've told this before. We told you don't get the idea and go on home and call your mom that. Well, Jesus did it. <laughs> woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. See, she's concerned about it. It's Jesus. He's not concerned about it. Why? Because he's an attender. She belongs there. He's just attending. This is your concern. Why are you bringing me into this thing? Because she's not bringing him in as my son. She's bringing him in as the son of God. She is, he's already picked his disciples. He's already got the disciples picked. The anointing has already come down on him. She's seen the change. And so she says, you can do something about this. <laughs> I know it. You can do something about this. And so his response was, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? But uh, apparently she felt pretty confident he was going to do something. So Mary is just an attender to the wedding, but Jesus doesn't seem to be. I said in here too that a mom notices a difference. You know that when, when things change in your life, moms notice those differences, even so more so than dads. Let's go on to verse 5 and take a look at, at this. Now, we said in this first part here if you look, that, that there's no wine in this one. That's, that was pretty obvious. But here in, in, in chapter 5, his mother, or verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, 
Do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. Simple words. Simple words. Sometimes people want more explanation than they deserve or that they should get. But, you know, sometimes just simple words. Just, that's it. And I'll tell you what, sometimes we like words. How many have ever gotten those directions that are all pictures? I, I, I plead for words. Please, if you have to do the pictures for the illiterate people in society, that's fine. But give me words. I can read. And they show you those pictures and these little tiny bolts. You draw, which, which bolt is that? I don't know what that bolt is. I don't have anything that size. Mine are bigger. Yeah, give me a, tell me something. It's an inch, it's an inch, it's an inch and a half, something on it. Oh, I like written words. When I give people instructions for the bunk beds, I, I sometimes have fun with them. I tell them there's no pictures. It's all text. It's all, I just write it out there for you. Now, I, I guide them through it when they're there. And if, if they're picking it up, I, I walk them through. This is how you do it. This is how you put it together. Now, here's the written instructions and there's no pictures. It, you got to read it. And so far, everybody's done okay. <laughs> I, I like words. Look at her words. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's it. Sometimes we like whole paragraphs of, of explanations. No, sometimes just simple. Whatever he says to you, do it. All right, so whatever he says, we should do that. Yeah, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, this word here, whatever, can have a couple of meanings for us. First off, it can mean right, right here. Whatever he says to you, which means regardless of what it is, regardless of the cost, regardless of the effort, regardless of the ridiculousness of it, whatever whatever he says to you, do it. That's one way that you can hear it. Or you can also hear it this way. Whatever. All right, have you seen that? Whatever. What's that mean? I have shut down from receiving. You go off and do whatever you want to. But I have shut down from receiving. Isn't that what it means? And, and that's not a good meaning. That's not good. We should not use this word in this way. It has become in our society and people are using it all the time. Whatever. But usually we speak it out of frustration. Usually we speak it because I am shutting down from receiving. I'm not hearing you anymore. I don't care what you say. I'm not hearing it. And, and that's not good. Don't have that with God. Don't have it with anybody. But don't especially have it with God. Whatever he says. Whatever he says. Now, this one we put in your title here. No wine. W-H-I-N-E. No whining allowed. Kind of like that, uh, what was that Tom Hanks movie in um, baseball? Um, and they're, they're all away, the guys were away at war and they had the, the, the women playing the best baseball and that was the, I, what, a league of their own. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. yeah, okay, league of their own. I love his line. You all probably love it too. There's no crying in baseball. Because, <laughs> you know, a couple of the girls were broke down and cried and I don't even remember the reason was. But I love his response. There's no crying in baseball. He's never had to deal with that before. There's no whining with God. Stop whining. We don't need to do it. Whatever he says to you, what should you do? Do it. Whatever. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, we adopt this attitude with other people. When we were young, we did adopt it with our parents. Whatever they said, we did it. Of course, we got to an age where we decided, you know what? I don't know if I want to do that. And, you know, that kind of caused some problems. And every one of us, we, we dealt with it differently. We learned things as we dealt with it. But um, we've had coaches. How many have ever had a coach? And what's your attitude with the coach? Whatever he says to you, do it. And don't complain. Because coaches don't like it when people complain. You know what coaches do when you complain? Well, if you like that, we'll give you this. So we learned. I'm, my, my closest interaction with a coach was at college with, a, with cross country. We had a, uh, a coach there. Uh, he was a coach of a Christian college. I don't know if he was saved. I, I really don't. I just don't. I don't know that he wasn't. I don't know that he was. He never showed me any sign ever of being saved. Never showed me any sign of even desiring the things of God. But he went to chapel. He um, 
I just don't know. So I just preface it with with that. So he was uh, he was my main interaction with a coach. He's a short guy too. He was shorter than me, and uh, he would come on out there with the with the thing that we were supposed to do, and uh, he would come on out and and just say that you know we were going to run. Now I came into college and I just had an attitude of of run. You know that the movie the guy who ran was his uh, Forrest Gump. Just run, run. That's all I did. I just ran. I just I didn't run well. I didn't run with any kind of strategy. I, I just ran. 10 miles away, sure, get there. I run 10 miles away, I run 10 miles home. I run two miles here, I run five miles there. I ran anywhere from 10 to 20, 25 miles a day. Just ran it. I didn't think anything about it, I just ran it. And so when I got there to college and they said, all right, we're going to run 10 miles today. Fine, let's go. <laughs> and I ran it out. But these guys, I mean, there was a strategy to it. Some days you went out fast and some days you didn't go out quite as fast. And some days you're on the track and some days you're doing this. And so as soon as he would say a certain thing, some of them would say, oh, I don't know what that is. I, 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 don't, I didn't know what intervals were when I went to college. I found out what intervals were. I found out why people groaned because they're nasty. And our, our, our coaches, his favorite workout was us doing 20 quarter mile quarters. Uh, 20 quarters uh, and we would get two minutes to rest in between each one you had to go out at about 90, 85 to 90 percent speed and so in the course of it you were running five miles at about 80 90 85 90 percent speed and he would clock it you know he, he your first one he would see if you came through at 65 seconds on the first one you better be staying right around 65 seconds for all 20 none of this stuff where you go out at 60 and come in at 75 he didn't like that. You wanted to be right around that same thing. And we would have to run four or five miles before, and then we ran four or five miles after. Except sometimes, I've, uh, the guys told me this. I didn't know this, and he had uh, reformed a little bit. But before I got there, after we would get done the intervals, he would make us run hills. Now, he stopped doing that. He decided that was a little too much. And so I missed that. They all told me, you, you, you got spared. You didn't have to see that. And uh, I know how bad the, the other parts were. But he would come out and he would say things and people would have a response. And if they had a response, he would say, all right, well, we're going to do this too. So we learned, just do it. Whatever he says, just do it. Military people had the same thing. How many have been through the military? You go through the military and what happens? If you, if you, if you know, <laughs> Bob knows, Jolly knows, Jim knows. How many else have been in the military? You all know what what happens if um, if they say do something and you put up a fuss. Not only are you going to do that, but you're going to do it longer. You're going to do more, and it's going to be more unpleasant. They will find a way to make sure that it is unpleasant. And, and that's, so, what do you what do you learn? Whatever he says, do it. You just learn. I do it. We got to learn this same thing, thing with God. I think God ought to put on boot camp. God's boot camp. Just take us through there and we don't get out until we, whatever he says, do it. So she comes on out of this thing. She has some influence with the people there because she's not just an attender. You don't just come up to the servants there and say, hey, whatever he says, you do it. She's got to be somebody. And they knew they had to listen. Whatever he says. Now, whatever Jesus says, not your desires. Sometimes we have a desire for a certain thing, but it's not what you desire. It's not your misconceptions. Don't bring your misconceptions into this thing. It is what he says. It's also not your ignorance. Sometimes people make these things, well, I think God will do this. Stop thinking. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says. If he said it in his word, we went over that before too. The general stuff, we don't have anything specific, we take the general. The general and the specific. Whatever he says, do it. Now him, Jesus, whatever he says, we need to do it. Whatever he says to you, he's going to, he's going to come in here. He's going to speak some things to you. Whatever he says to you, to you, he's going to be speaking to you guys. Not to someone you know. God may speak some things to somebody that you know. That doesn't mean that you're supposed to do it. Not something that you feel comfortable with. How many times have it been that, you know, God will say something? All right, I, I, I'm not real comfortable with that. I'll do this instead. <laughs> no, that's not what we're supposed to do. And it's also not your perception of your ability it does not come into play here. Because sometimes we take our perception. Well, I can't do that. 
What do you mean? What do you ask me to do that for? I can't do that. Whatever he says to you, do it. No excuses. No whining. No judging of ability. Nor accessing, nor accessing practicality. That's it. No excuses, no whining. Just get out there and do the thing. Here's some other examples of, of this I wanted you to, to take a look at. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, Now it happened on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Them singular, them plural. Them is plural. We've been through this one before, but I want to make sure you realize this. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed. How many people are on the bed? There's one person on the bed. Whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up to the housetop, let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, what's he saying? Whatever he says, do it. I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. If you are the man on the bed, what are you going to say? You're going to judge this based on our ability. There are many times that Jesus will come, will speak things to us, that the Word of God will speak things to us, and we look at it based on our ability. And that shuts down the power of God. Look at what happened. The power of God was present to heal them. But in the end of this meeting, only one person left there healed. The power of God was present to heal them, but only him left healed. Because only him did whatever he said. The rest of them, when truth came, see, Jesus is speaking truth to them, isn't he? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to the man, I say to you, man, rise up and take up your bed and go to your home. And they did not accept that truth, did they? Which means they were not only in, not in great faith, they weren't in regular faith, they weren't in any faith. They shut down the power of God to heal because no one else received. Brother uh, Doug Jones told us one time, he tells us often, in fact, if you go up on his website, you'll see it uh, plastered there. Uh, it is possible for the power of God to be present to heal and no one notice. That's sad, isn't it? Luke chapter 17. Oh, we didn't finish this one off. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and go to your house immediately. <laughs> immediately. What's immediately mean? As soon as he said it. He rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, which was his bed, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. Whatever he says to you, do it. Luke chapter 17, verse 12. Then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he said, when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And it was, and so as it was that as they went, they were cleansed. What did they do? What he said. Whatever he says, do it. Don't, don't gripe. Don't whine. Don't judge it based upon your ability. This one, they had the ability to go to the chief priest, but not necessarily the right. They weren't supposed to go to the priest until they were healed, until something changed in their body. Then they would go and have it inspected. But nothing had changed. But he said, go. And on their way, as they went. In other words, as they started doing what he said to do. Lazarus, Lazarus in John chapter 11. We're jumping in the middle of the story. Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, 
Take away the stone. Real simple, isn't it? What do you think you ought to do if Jesus says, take away the stone where a dead guy is? Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. What's she doing? She's not receiving the truth, is she? Who was the one who was not listening to the word of God was in the kitchen? Hmm. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they, other people, took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. You think they obeyed right away on that one? Probably. Acts chapter 3. This is not involving Jesus. Chapter 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, who was called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him and with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What's he saying? Rise up and walk. What can the guy do? He can lay down. He can't rise up and walk, can he? And he took him by the right hand. Now, understand this. He had him expecting to receive something. He just wasn't expecting to receive healing. He's expecting to get some money. That's, you know, a quarter, 50 cents, something like that. He's just expecting to get some money. But he had him expecting And while he's in that area of expecting, he says, rise up and walk. And he does not give him a chance to argue with him or do anything. He reaches down and grabs him by the hand and yanks him up. And so the guy complies and he, 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 he jumps up too. Went around praising God. So he leaping up doesn't, if he leaps up, doesn't that take some effort? It's not, he's not just completely being acted on. So he, well, let's go back to 17. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. What had happened to him? Hmm. So when the word of God comes to us and we hear it, we need to act. If we do, we are giving God something that he can work with. If we sit there and argue with him, well, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I want to give that up. I don't know if I should do that. I don't know if I like to do that. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I should do that. I don't know if that's right to do that. No. When we know that the word of God has spoken it to us, we know that God has spoken it to us. We need to do it. You gotta get one of those night posters, put it on your wall. Just do it. Just do it. You just put the word there in front of the you know picture of the Bible. Put it right there on top of the shoe. Just do it. Whatever he says to you, just do it. That's all. We don't argue about it. Accept it. Have an action based upon it. Accept it. Have a declaration about it. Say something. Verse 8. Then John chapter 2. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Well, let's go back. We, we missed some uh, verses there, didn't we? Where did we leave off at before? Verse 6? We're on verse 6? Or did we read verse 6? All right, let's go back to verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. So six water pots of stones, 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Let's say 25 average. That's 150. 50 gallons of water. 150 gallons of water. That's a lot of water. How did it get there? 
Oh, they probably just turned the spigot on, right? Filled them right up. Maybe they had to get a hose. Uh-uh. You got... Now, if you have a stone water pot, that's pretty heavy. And if each one of those holds 20 or 30 gallons of water, do you know how much water weighs? It is just under 10 pounds a gallon. It's just under. It's nine point something. I forget exactly. Nine point seven. It's right around in that area. Uh, I have to know that because I like fish tanks, and you, you have to know how much they weigh. And so it's it's right right under ten gallon, ten pounds a gallon. So if you take twenty five gallons, uh, average of water, how much is the stone water pot? Well, two hundred fifty pounds around are the is the water, and then you got the stone. Pot. We're not talking about plastic. This is not styrofoam. This is a stone pot. So let's just estimate for for uh, each one, because some of them are thirty gallons, uh, and some of them are twenty. Let's just say we're right around the area of two hundred. We have um, let's see, we got the we got the twenty-five gallons. Ten is two fifty. We're we're somewhere around three hundred pounds in a stone water pot. There may or may not be handles on the stone water. I don't know if they make handles on the stone water pot. If they did, you'd have to have some really good handles to hold all that weight. They'd be some nice. So more than likely, you're going out there and getting a container, and you're getting a five, ten-gallon bucket, and you're bringing the water up with that from wherever the water is. So you're carrying all that water from wherever the water is over here and filling up the water pot. If you have a five, ten-gallon container. Each one, you're going to need uh, one, two, three, four to fill up the, the, the container there. If it's a 10-pound bucket, that's 100 pounds. Go, uh, go carry it, go back and get it. Go, go carry it, go back and get it. I have a fish tank. We, I make five gallons of water at a time. I don't know if you, how many have ever had a freshwater fish tank. You ever change the water of a freshwater fish tank? Easiest thing in the world. You go to the spigot, you fill it up with some water, you put some dechlorination in there, you make sure the temperature's right, just the pH, put the water in. Salt water is not that way. If you have a problem where you lost water in your salt water tank, you cannot just make up water and put it in. Salt water must be aged a minimum of one day before it can ever enter into the fish tank because it's too caustic when it's first made up. You gotta put the heater in the, in the little, little bucket. You gotta put an aerator in there. It's gotta move the water around. It's gotta be exposed to air for at least 24 hours, preferably longer. Some guys I know make it up a week ahead of time in order to have it ready. If you suddenly lose water, have to change that water, you better have some backup water. You just got to do that. So anyway, I say all that to, I make them up in five gallon buckets and I know what they're like to carry. Ten, there's a reason why I don't make them up in 10 gallon buckets. It's easier to carry them around five. So, but you got get the picture here. Whatever he says to do, do it. I want you to go out there and to fill up these containers. Six containers of 20 to 30 gallons apiece. I want you to go out there and carry all that water, 250 gallons of water, and bring it here and put it in there. So this is, this is not just, you know, go upstairs and get my keys. This is, this is substantial. You want us to fill those six pots with water. They didn't complain about it. They went out there and they did it. Wherever they had to get the water to, remember, you had to go distance. It's not running water in the house. So they went and got the water and they put it in. All right, that's, that's one thing. That's, that's a challenge. And we put the water in there. Go on to the next verse. Verse 7. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. If, if you're going to fill them up, how many of you would fill them up? You know, if the last bucket was a, a, a gallon short or a little bit short, a little bit of, how many of you, that's good enough. That's good. That's, that was good. Let's just go on to the next one. We don't need to go all the way out there and get a little bit more just to fill up that. No, we're okay. They filled them up. The word of God says, and they filled them up to the brim. What were the instructions they got? Whatever he says to you, do it. He said to fill them up. Now, I don't know about you, but if you fill something up to the brim, usually you're filling it, overfilling it, and it spills out the side in order to fill it up to the brim. 
They, they didn't fill them up close to the brim. They filled them up to the brim. Go on to the next verse, verse 8. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Do you know what this is? What they're in? We know what we put in there. We put water in there. We know where the water came from. And if we take this to the master, we're the guys that are on the line, not you. We're the ones that are presenting this to him. Whatever he says to you, do it. And it says what here in verse 8? And they took it. We don't get any whining from these guys at all. There have been people in the Word of God. The one with Lazarus. What did, what did uh, Martha say? Ah, oh, well, you probably don't know this, but after four days, he probably smells. Uh, yeah. I know that. Move this People, you know, they just, you ask people to do something and they come up with some of the lamest excuse for, for why they can't do it. It's just like, you know what? They filled it up to the brim. He says, take it to the master. They take it to the master. They don't question it. They just go and do it. And what happens? Verse nine. And the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made. He did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water out knew. Yeah, it came from that place right down there where the water is. <laughs> the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And what did he say to the bridegroom? Verse 10. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. In other words, when you're drunk, you don't really know that it's good wine. And you have kept the good wine until now. He didn't know where it came from. He's blaming the guy who was running the ceremony. Why did you leave the good wine until now? And the guy who's running the ceremony thinks what? Thinks we're out of wine. You cannot be over the ceremony, have a crisis of no wine that Jesus' mother finds out about without him knowing. Right? He's got to know there's no wine. And so they come to him and you know, we're out of wine. They brought some more in. I guess he had it in storage somewhere. Great, we bring it on in. Why did you wait to bring this stuff out? This I would have started off with this. This is the better stuff. And the servants knew that was water just a little while ago. <laughs> it didn't even get a chance to age. Didn't even get a chance to age. Go on to the next one. In verse 11. You have kept the good until now. The, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and all his disciples believed in him. They all believed in him. They saw this. This is the first miracle that he did. I bring this one up because I was listening. How many folks were on Facebook this week and saw the post I put up there on Wednesday about Doug Jones teaching? That's my figure. If you get up there, you're going to see some good stuff. I'm telling you. There was a wonderful teaching that he did on Wednesday night. And um, we missed the people that were here missed it. And so I went out there and I found it. I found a link to it or got a link to it and put it up there for you to be able to, um, to, to go out there and see it. But he was going over this and he was, uh, he mentioned this miracle and he mentioned something about it. He said, how many of you remember, remember lawyer's terms? If you, if, if you watch the lawyer shows, I mean, like the, you like the lawyer shows? I like some of the lawyer shows. One of my favorite ones, Matlock. Oh, I love Matlock. Oh, he was so fun. He was, he was just great to watch. Uh, but there's other ones, you know, Perry Mason, he was a good one. Uh, enjoyed him. There are some other ones that came up of, of recent times. And but here's one of the things that would always go after in the lawyer shows is that they would uh, they would examine things. They would go back into the archives and they would read how different court cases went out. And when you're going through and learning how to be a lawyer, they teach you about past cases, before a reason, because past cases set a what a precedent. And once a precedent is set, it almost becomes law. And you can bring up past cases. Here's a precedent. Here's what was done before. And Brother Jones brought this up as he was looking at this. He says, the first miracle that Jesus does sets a precedence. And doggone if that isn't right. What is the precedence in the first miracle? Whatever he says to do, do it. That's your precedence. And we just looked at a bunch of other miracles. And what's the precedence in them? Whatever he says to do, do it. Now, you'll find some miracles that didn't, he didn't really ask anybody to do anything. But most of them, he asked someone to do something. 
go to the priest, rise up and walk, take up your bed. He asked them to do certain things. And when they did it, great miracles came. Now his part here is now we got wine. He didn't say taste it. He didn't say, he, he, didn't, he didn't say, you know, try it out. He make sure that it tastes okay. He didn't say, he, he just said, take it out. And they took it. Take it out and give it to him. And they took it out and they took it to the guy. That was it. Here's the formula. We've given you this formula many times in years past. It's always good to come back and review on this because it has been a few years since I last gave this to you. We refer to it a lot. But this is a formula that's in the Word of God that if you get this formula down, it does work. How many of y'all remember those formulas they try to teach you in school? You know, the formula for energy, for mass, for um, ah, different stuff like that. Uh, geometry, how to figure out the angles. And, you know, if you actually did get those formulas down, if you're trying to make a ramp for your shed, it'd be no problem. But instead, you know, we cut one off. We needed to be an inch longer. And <laughs> you wouldn't have that problem if you knew the formulas. Here's the formula. The action is his command. The catalyst is our obedience. The action is his command. When he commands us, whether it's in his word or whether he says it to us, that's the action. The catalyst is our obedience. Everything needs a catalyst. Everybody in chemistry? You can have certain things mixing, but they need a catalyst. They need something that brings them together so that they can mix. Oil and water have no catalyst. If you put oil and water into the same container, oil goes in one direction, water goes in the other. Because they, 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 don't, they don't mix. They, they, some things don't need a catalyst. Some things just mix readily. One of the things that will mix readily with anything is chlorine. That's why they tell you don't use bleach with other cleaners. Why? It doesn't need a catalyst usually. It just bonds to other stuff. I, I think I told you the story before when I was over in the restaurant. We had this guy, college student. And he came out of the back room and he says, what are the two chemicals you're not supposed to mix? And I said, well, usually it's, you know, most people talk about ammonia and bleach. He said, what about lime away? I said, you're not supposed to mix anything with lime away. He mixed bleach and lime away and he said, this green puff of smoke came up. <laughs> Don't go home and mix chlorine and, and lime away. I don't recommend it. We were close to evacuating the restaurant. We opened up the back door. We put a fan on and, and we didn't cause a panic. <laughs> but, uh, whew, that was, that was something else. But some things need a catalyst. They need something to, to bring the things together. His commands, our obedience, the reaction, because we always like a reaction. You know, reactions are fun. Ever, uh, you, have you done those ones, uh, reactions where you take, uh, Coca-Cola? And you take a Mentos. You know those little candies, Mentos? And you drop it in the Coca-Cola? Have you ever done that? Really? You should do that when you go home. It won't blow up. I promise you. It won't blow up. It's just fun. Just do it on a surface that's okay if some of the Coke gets on it. Like a table. But it won't go hitting your ceiling or anything like that. But it, it's a fun little reaction. Take a little, take a, take a, a long, the, the longer and thinner the cylinder, the better. And you drop that little Mentos tablet in the soda. Oh, man, it's fun. You get enough of them, you can power something. But just one won't do a whole lot. Anyway, that's the reaction. We all like the reaction. We like the, and the reaction is the power. It's the power. We watched the space shuttles take off, and we saw all that explosions that were going on there. There's a reaction that's happening. That stuff is burning. And it's having a reaction. It's throwing that rocket up in the air. There's the action. There's the catalyst. There's the, the, the reaction. There's the reaction of, of his power. Then the final thing is the product. What's the product that we get out of this? We get blessed. Our blessing. You get your miracle. You get your need met. You get whatever it is. But his commands, our obedience, his power, our blessing. That's the formula. Whatever he says to do, do it. Now, this has a, a, a lot of things. It's not just when we need wine. It has to do with, with everything. When God's word says, thou shalt not. Okay, I won't do that. 
I'm, I'm, I'm not going to venture into that area because the, God, God told me, don't do it. How many of y'all known that we have some things in the Word of God that the word the, the Bible told us, thou shalt not, or you shouldn't, and and we did. And sometimes we've had problems on on that end, and I mean sometimes you got away with it. Sometimes it seemed like you you, you disobeyed, and the earth didn't swallow you up, and lightning bolts didn't come from heaven. It was a good thing we survived. We were we were glad, but sometimes. Uh, bad things happened. That's not always because God missed us. Sometimes it's just God is telling us, just don't do that because you get out into an area where people are trying to get you. Don't do it. Stay out of that area. God's not trying to get you when you get out that area, but other, there's other forces, there are other things that are going to try and get you. He says, stay out of that. Don't do it. If you bypassed it one time, don't try and do it again. But those areas where he says, if you do this, things will happen. There's promises like that in the Word of God, and they're all through it. If this book of the law shall not depart from your eyes, keep it in the midst of your heart, for it is life unto those who find them, and health to all their flesh. That's a good thing. But um, Joshua was exhorted to meditate on the, the Word day and night, that you may be careful to do all that is written therein, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. We keep trying to find other formulas. This is the one. If you want to go somewhere, if you want to do something with God, do the formula. What have you said? Well, God hasn't given me anything specific to do. Then do what he said in his word in general. And show your obedience with that. Because until you do that, why should he give you anything specific? All you're going to do is disobey it. Whatever he has said in his word, just do it. You want to give God something to work with? That's something powerful right there. When his word has come to you and you obey it, and you're the catalyst in there, there is power that will come. Every single time that people in the word obeyed what Jesus said to do, power resulted. Every time. Every single time. If it happens every single time, what do you think will happen when you do it? Now, where's your faith at? Is your faith in the great faith area? Is it in the regular faith area? Is it in the weak faith area? How much natural stimulation do you need? We need to get ourselves to a place where we can wean ourselves off from that. You want a word on that? Go over to Jesus when he talks to uh, Thomas. What's he say to him? Thomas, because you have seen, you believe. Blessed are they who believe and have not seen. So much better when we don't need to depend on the natural to feed our faith. Well, I don't feel. What I didn't see. Well, I don't think. Get rid of all that sort of stuff. And get into a place where God said. We need to have faith like our kids do. If you go to your kids when they're two, three years old and you say, I'm going to bring you this home. What do your kids do? Oh, when daddy gets home. Oh, when mom gets home. Oh, they're, she's going to have this. Oh, I can't wait till they get home. They're going to bring me. I know it. Why are they? Because. Because you said it. They're not getting text messages. They're not getting pictures. They're not getting emails. They don't have anything on the on the uh, TV that's saying, here, here it comes. All they had was your word. And you know what? We were all capable of that when we were little. Now all of a sudden, we've gotten a little hard. Whatever he says to do, just do it. This miracle sets a precedence. It sets a precedence for miracles that will come. And we can, we can hold God to that. So, Father God, here's your precedence. You said, if I do what you say, that's what you said you'll do. God says, sure did. I sure did. He set a precedence. Where are you at with it? Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the precedence that you set in your word. We thank you that we can believe your word to work, and it will work. That we need simply just to hear what you have to say. Believe it. Receive that truth. 
not depend on any natural stimulation, but to just to go on. And what God said is true. We want to get to that place where the two people who interacted with Jesus, he called their faith great. We want to get to where they were. No outside stimulation necessary. No rejection of truth. Father, that's where we need to be. These were heathen people at that time. Gentile people. But they were capable of greater faith than even those who were in Israel, Jesus said. At least they demonstrated it. So, Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. We will just do what you say. That will be our commitment to you. We want to keep learning the things that you say. And every time we see something new, just live it. Just do it. Thank you for the help that you give us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.